Welcome to this Brewers News Brewers Perspective podcast hosted by Marcus Cox and Anthony Clem. You can find out more about our hosts via the link in the show notes. If you'd like to sponsor Brewery Pro, you can contact us at matt at brewersnews.com.au and that is also in the show notes. This episode of Brewers Perspective looks at storage and handling of brewing ingredients to ensure they meet specifications and contribute to your great beer. Our guests are Jordan Hines, Operations Manager at Bintani, and Owen Johnston, Sales and Marketing Manager at HPA. During the conversation, we discuss topics including understanding certificates of analysis, and you can find HPA's guides to COAs in the show notes. If you have any questions for our host or topics you would like to see covered on Brewers Perspective, you can email brewers at brewsnews.com.au. There's a link to that in the show notes. Jordan, we might we might just start with you. Can you just give us some background on you know what you do at Bentani and what you've been exposed to, some of your experience, if you don't mind? Yeah, for sure. So, hey everyone, my name is Jordan and I'm the operations manager here at Bentani. I started with the team approximately four years ago and until recently was predominantly involved with the supply chain and logistics side of things. Since moved into more of a operation style role, which as the name suggests, sees me focus on the day-to-day operations, mainly from a sales and contract management perspective. Hopefully I haven't lost too much of my accent, so you can probably <laughs> still tell that I'm from Scotland. Um, before I took the role here at Bintani, I spent approximately 10 years working on and off for Simpsons Malt at their main production site in the, on the England-Scotland border. During my time there, I was involved mainly with the production side of things, so essentially doing everything from barley intake to drying during the harvest to loading kilns and running the germination vessels, so anything that involved getting dirty or uh, carrying a shovel. Good stuff. The connection with Bintani stemmed from a conversation that I had with Peter Simpson uh, one day from memory, a pretty cold and rainy day, um, <laughs> to see if he had any connections in Australia that would be happy to take somebody like me on with my skill sets. And we got in contact with the Meddings and they were pretty open to it and it, and it really spiraled from there. So that conversation happened about five years ago and, and I really haven't looked back. No, good work. Owen, can you... Uh, give us a little bit of background about uh, what you get up to there at um, at HPA and, and your experience as well, please. No problem. Um, Jordan, just uh, enjoyed you taking me back um, to Scotland and uh, particularly rainy days on the Scottish-English border there. It's very, uh, very emotive stuff. Thanks for that trip down memory lane. That's probably not the word I would use, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, I spent a year in Scotland studying at Harriet Watt and um, I reckon that winter that I spent there, I don't reckon I saw the sun for three weeks. And uh, so, yeah, coming back to Australia was, uh, was, um, was, was high, on the, high on the list of things to do. Is that why you got into hops, OJ? Just making sure that there's, you live in an area that's got plenty of uh, daylight hours? The right, the right length of daylight in the summer is very important <laughs> to other organisms, including hops. Uh, yep, so typical Tasmanian genetic uh, fault, uh, very low vitamin D, so got to get out in the sun occasionally. Good call. Uh, so, yeah, luck, got lucky, came back to Australia, got lucky and um, landed a job um, building a little brewery. Uh, stayed there um, running that brewery for nearly 10 years and then came over to the hop farm and um, have been uh, leading up the sales and marketing um, at HPA since the end of 2013. 
Thanks, guys. Marcus, did you want to kick off or do you want to? Yeah, sure. So starting with you, Jordan, um, just, just to kick it off, um, maybe if we follow process to some degree, can we have a think about, I've just received a pellet of grain, for example. Um, how do I tick both of the boxes to know that that's the pellet of grain that I wanted and that it's in fair condition to use? I guess the first port of call would be a physical or a visual inspection. Most brewers would know what they'd ordered and you'd like to think that they could identify when it arrived. However, it may not be the brewer who's unloading the truck. It may be one of the warehouse staff or somebody else in the brewery. So it might not be immediately obvious, especially if it's a mixed pallet or if it's multiple pallets on the consignment. So again, this is where you really need to review your paperwork. Look at your purchase orders, cross-check it against the packing list or invoice. All of our consignments are dispatched with the appropriate paperwork. So this is where the initial check should come from. As a backup, all of our product COAs are automatically emailed from our online system as soon as an order is dispatched. So again, you can cross-check this against the rest of the paperwork to ensure that batch numbers align and that specifications meet the requested requirements. How would you resolve an issue if I you know, had some bugs crawling around on a pallet? What, what's the, the, the movement that I should make back to you guys? Of course, any sort of pest issues are, are fairly significant. So if you guys, if any, any of the brewers received malt from us that had pests on it, it's, it's very unlikely. But if that did happen, then obviously isolate that stock immediately and uh, send it back to us. Um, if, if there are pest issues, then there's a number of sort of processes that you can use to try and mitigate those problems. So as I've said, isolate the bags. Once the bags have been opened, Make sure that they're in airtight sort of conditions, if, if at all possible. Make sure that the ambient storage conditions are relatively cool and um, and make sure that they're, they're not stored against any other products so that there's no contamination issues going forward. Yeah. I'm relatively new to, um, to Brisbane, to Queensland, and I've never seen challenges with humidity and stuff like that before. It, it kind of opens up the option that um, how much grain should I buy at a time Obviously, grain being semi-durable, and we'll get to, to hops next. But what's what's a safe kind of loading in terms of you know tons in relation to my amount of liquid produced? Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, Queensland is probably the most pre- you know, appropriate storage conditions in Queensland are most prevalent because it's you know such high humidity up there. So we would advise customers to hold no more than than two weeks worth of stock, so that they're not sitting along any products. Uh, as I say, we already have storage facilities in Brisbane so if a customer is, is short in stock then there's no issue with getting them additional additional products so um, yeah that's that's the main one I would say two weeks worth of stock and uh, anything that's really sort of slow moving coloured malts for example store those in, in airtight conditions so that they, they stay fresh because you know malt is a you know it absorbs the ambient conditions so once it absorbs that moisture, it can become slack and, and stale. And especially if you have something like malted oats, which has a high oil content, it could go moldy. So for those kind of products, it's particularly important to to uh, to make sure that you're not sitting along on that stock. So with, with that in mind, Jordan, you know, do your facilities um, in Brisbane? You know, how do you how do you get around the fact that you know we're we're facing the same conditions up here? Do you turn stock over quickly? But I guess the question I'm leading to is, you know, if I've got old old malt in uh, in the back of uh, my brewery warehouse, you know, how how long, you know, and how do I assess whether it's you know good to put in a beer? 
Yeah, well, malt is a very stable product. You know, we receive 18 to 24 months from most of our suppliers in terms of its shelf life or best before date. Um, we do, we have had examples of customers using it beyond that date without any performance issues. So I guess first port of call for a brewer would be physical inspection, make sure that it's free from any sort of pests. If it smells good and it tastes good, then it's probably good to use. Um, okay. in, in terms of our storage facilities, again, we have plenty of stock on hand, so brewers don't need to sit long on those kind of products. And the stock turnover that we do have in those interstate warehouses is sort of to an extent that we're not sitting on any more than sort of, you know, we might have stock in there for six months and, um, you know, we have cool room storage for, for all of our oats and that sort of thing. So um, we've got pretty robust processes in place. We've recently had our HACCP audit here at Melbourne HQ. So we have pretty stringent processes in place to, to manage our, our stock. Okay, good, good stuff. Seems like a good time to jump over to the hop side, OJ. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, slightly different concept with a less durable product, for want of a better term. Uh, do you want to talk us through that, mate? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it does speak to the um, importance of the actual packaging uh, technology, the mylar foils, the semi-permeable membranes, and, and storage condition. You know, we have different um, means by which we can assess fit for purpose if they've been stored for quite some time. But but really, my advice would be to, um, to your original question there, um, Marcus, was, uh, you know, when a delivery turns up, um, make sure make sure you um, get the packing slip and double check the lock codes and the variety in the crop year and make sure you get what you've ordered um, first and foremost and retain the really important parts of the the um, paperwork around that delivery and that's that's the COA and, and we should uh, you know we should be featuring the certificate of analysis um, quite heavily in a discussion about um, you know appropriate storage and how um, how to tell if it's not um, appropriately stored. So if you've, if you've got over that initial receipt and you've checked the packaging for damage, um, you know, with the primary concern being the integrity of the foil, cartons get banged up in transport, we all know that. But um, the, real, the real kicker is whether the uh, vacuum is still um, intact on the foil that the hops are in. And if, and if that is the case and you've got your lock code and COA sort of uh, details visible to you, you're good to go. So assuming I've got the right product and it's in, it's in okay condition, what are the most important numbers that I need to look at at this stage on the uh, C of A? You know, let's, let's sort of fast forward. Goods have been receded into the brewery. Um, they go in the fridge um, and they're stored cold uh, until, until you get close to brewing time. Just, just, start- to, just to butt in, you've talked about appropriate conditions there, OJ. Like, can you, can you narrow that down as to, you know, appropriate storage conditions? Yep, yep. Um, so we advise storing between one and five degrees. Um, lower the better. Um, if you're going to store for a lot, if you know you're going to be storing for a, lot, for a long time and you've got freezer space, then then go right ahead. Um, uh, but but definitely um, consistent and, and cool. It's very similar to beer in package. You know, heat cycling can be as damaging as the absolute temperatures. So, you know, between between one and five, and consistently there, not not um, not leaving the fridge door open while you're up in uh, Brisbane or, or uh, Cairns or wherever you wherever you're brewing. So heat cycling 
more of an issue than, say, temperature? Because I know, you know in Australia it's very difficult to ship cold. Yeah. So, so if you were going to put a priority on that, it'd be it'd be stored at lower temperatures is, is number one. Like store refrigerated. Um, if if your temperature cycles, um, it's 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 secondary, but but a but a concern. Um, we just to note, we refrigerate for long term storage in our in our warehouses, um, but we don't refrigerate for that last um, mile in the supply chain, so to speak. So from our from our store to your brewery is actually unrefrigerated. Uh, we don't believe that the that the exposure to temperatures for that short duration um, is critically detrimental to the hop performance. As long as it goes back into cool store at your end uh, for that period of months or whatever it is before you actually use the hops. Okay, so you, you're trying to, I guess, reduce that cycle then by, you know, well, minimise it so that you know everything uh, everything still performs as you as you wished is is pack is making sure the integrity of the packaging then uh highly important absolutely so we're um you know we're industry standard on the mylar foils that the hops come in everyone's um received hops in that whether it's from bintania from hba they're they're the same technology in those foils um we um, are also, uh, you know, ISO 9001 procedurally driven on our packaging lines. Um, as Jordan mentioned, um, we're HACCP certified. Um, so we've got a level of control around our packaging lines, which, you know, which our customers should should have a really high level of confidence around. Um, the the real, the real um, kicker comes when um, it's time to use and you actually open the foil. Um, and don't use all the hops in that foil. So for me, the main risk in hop quality in the brewery is actually uh, around split foils and, and um, you know, half-used hops um, that, that might sit for a week or two weeks or something before that next brewing cycle comes around where you finish that foil. Um, we, we actually published um, published a blog on our website, hops.com.au, on... Um, Hop storage techniques and is, and is that the one from is that the one from January twenty twenty? Uh June June two twenty twenty hop storage techniques that preserve impact in beer. Yep. Good stuff. So that that talks that talks about resealing and, and resealing actually putting them in in a in a vacuum uh, uh, chamber vacuum sealer and resealing is is best practice. That's gold standard. Um there's a, a brewery locally here, which is a great example, uh, Shambles um, here in Hobart, that that uses the uh, vacuum sealer in their kitchen and to reseal their hop um, pouches. So it's um, it's a way that they've chosen to go about mitigating that aging effect of having a, a an open half used quantity of um, of hops in a foil. For everyone else. Um, it's about uh, wrapping them, um, wrapping them back up, um, you know, taping them up, getting them back in their box. And I do recommend retaining as much of the original packaging as possible because we have CLA information on the on the cartons, you know, alphas and oils. Uh, Marcus, to your to your question about key um, key data that we should be maintaining and trying to keep proximal to the hops themselves, so we understand what we're about to put in the beer, and even on the foil. So we have um, variety in crop year on the foil itself. So I would always recommend leaving it in the original packaging um, if you haven't got um, suitable alternatives um, and managing that information 
if you do change pack types is um is is critical yeah good good point jordan just coming back to you uh oj's raised a couple of good points in relation to heat cycling and split bags i mean less of a drama with your base malts but you know there's lots of specialty malts being used you know do you have any recommendations around um you know heat cycling and how do you handle split bags because i know you're open a bag of roast or you you know a specialty that you're not using very often and you're going to run into that problem yeah, I guess. I mean, obviously, we're, you're not sort of resealing bags of, of malt in the same way that you would a bag of hops. Um, so, as I think I mentioned before, maybe one of the best things, especially for those low-moving coloured malts, is just to store them in an airtight plastic container, perhaps. If you're, if, you're, if you're a small brewer who's only using you know, a quarter of a bag, then it's probably better to do that, keep it in that sort of a condition, rather than trying to reseal a bag of malt four or five times. Um, so I guess that's probably the best best advice that I could give. Just stick it into some kind of airtight container, so that it keeps its freshness, its boldness, and its flavour at the end of the day. What about putting it in the cool room? Like if you've got space in the cool room, would you recommend or not? Um, yeah, I mean, malt's pretty robust product, so it doesn't need to go in the cool room. If you have space, by all means, stick it in there, um, but not necessarily. If if it's been opened and it's stored in the correct dry um, airtight conditions then it doesn't need to be refrigerated but if you do have space then why not so humidity is probably more a factor then than temperature is that what you're suggesting yeah for sure humidity is the, the main factor with molecs to say it will absorb that moisture it could potentially turn it moldy a bit stale a bit soft which is what you don't want and um, but if it's in an airtight condition then um, then you won't have any issues with that so just just raising that have you seen issues where malt has picked up some flavour characters from where it's being stored? Yeah, I mean, aromatics is another big thing. So malt absorbs aromatics. So you need to be very careful where you store it and, and what it's next to. You know, the last thing that you want is, is your malt to taste like paint. You know, if we haven't had any examples of that, but I have heard a couple of stories where brewers have been doing some renovations and, you know, they've had malt stored next to their, in, the, in their brew house where they're painting or varnishing or what have you. And the malt takes on some of those characteristics and, and the beer ends up tasting tasting like that so that's absolutely not what you want so so yeah for sure keep it keep it separate from anything that it can take flavor on from or, or any kind of aroma and uh, best way to do that is probably to keep it in an airtight or just keep it away from anything basically that's it's as simple as that really good call and some good practices there i think that is going to help every every brewer we do have some listeners who are probably in the planning phase or, you know, are looking at, uh, you know, expanding their breweries. Is there anything that, from a design perspective, uh, for either malt or hops or even other ingredients that can be done at that stage, can be built into the facility to make storage and caring easier? I would say if, from a malt perspective, yes, for sure. Um, at the design stage, if anyone's considering putting silos in and that kind of thing you know you, you want to try and sort of focus on a on a mass flow silo system which has the steep sides so that you don't get the malt stagnating in the side of a of a funnel flow style silo and um, obviously that takes a lot more headroom so that's definitely definitely something to consider at the design stage and um, for any existing breweries that, are, that don't necessarily have that space then you know maybe it's worth considering two smaller 
silos side by side uh, if you don't necessarily have that headroom just to ensure that your malt is not stagnating and you're getting all the batches running through there's no build up and you know if you're putting in different varieties you know for sure that the the, the first one was was cleared before you put the next stuff in in terms of managing a silo, obviously there's a volume dependency when you're doing uh, setup, but but on a day to day basis, the silo is a little, it's kind of sight unseen with regard to the materials inside. It's a very broad question, but how would you give people a, a sense of comfort that there, there's nothing untoward inside the silo? Well, I guess I mean we when I when I was talking about those sort of silo solutions, if if a brewer has those silos in in place themselves, then again it's just about keeping them clean. Make sure that there's a hatch on the door at the top of the cone so that, you know, once you've run one batch through and it's empty, you can just open it up and have a look inside, do a visual inspection. You can, you can smell it if there's any sort of issues in there. If there's any buildup, you can see that and just go in and, and, and clean it out. Moving over to you, OJ, maybe obviously hops are a little bit different in the, and in particular for people that are starting up that might be that familiar with uh, the way things work, but the notion of the um, annual crop, the annual harvest, the hop contracts and, and how you know, how do I size a cool room with regard to X hundred or thousand kilograms of hops? How much can I have on site? How much can you hold for me? Can you go into that a little bit, mate? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it, sometimes I feel like hops are a, a product like no other, um, with that sort of complexity that you're talking about, the annual harvest, um, and yet, and yet, the annual cycle is is sort of separate from the brewers' concerns as we dovetail into the manufacturing side of brewing, um, because they are quite shelf stable. Once they're in the final package, in their foils, and in the fridge, um, storage degradation of flavour activity through storage is quite slow. So, my recommendation to new brewers and brewers just starting up, and let's 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 just assume in the in the vast majority that startups aren't going to have silos. Um, you know that that sort of critical size um, is out of reach for most startups. I would say use your supplier appropriately, forecast your demands, um, communicate them, but don't feel obliged to call up. Uh, you know, a, a hefty weight of hops just because you're underway. I would say one of the one of the critical times in startup is, you know, you're, you're probably under a lot of cash flow pressure. Um, your supplier is, is probably willing to carry a stock for you. Uh, you know, we we share the full crop year with our with our customers, the burden of storage, and and you know who owns the stock at that point. We share that burden with the customer. Uh, you shouldn't feel pressure to call up anything that you don't need. Maybe just ballpark what your initial brewing schedule is going to be. Pull those in. You can probably store that in a um, upright double door fridge. You know, it's you don't you don't have to you know, necessarily build a huge cool room and and expect you're going to need pallet racking for hops specifically. So I'd say uh, you know talk with your hop supplier. Understand how it is that you can fit with their needs and they can fit with your sort of um, responsible attitude to start up and, and certainly don't feel obliged to um, pull in a, a huge costly and, um, you know, potentially create yourself storage challenges as it relates to hops. So how, how long can you can you store hops and successfully get the performance out of them that you would like? I guess a two-pronged question because, yeah, you know, we could be talking about alpha acids or, or aroma and other um, performance that you're trying to achieve so if you can give me a brief overview of both so let's let's 
put let's break that down into two pairs of variables there we put a we put a three-year shelf life on our hops they are fit for purpose fit to use for that long if if remaining in their original packaging and stored appropriately now there is that uh, difference in in purpose though what what is it that you're using this galaxy for you're specifically using it for dry hopping in that beer that's going to take over the world that is a different storage challenge or a different time frame to use than um, than uh, you know super pride for alpha just for bittering because we we do know that different hops also um, age at different rates um, there are some you know, notoriously unstable ones, like Centennial in a bad year, um, Galaxy's average, um, uh, Cascade and some of their other hops like Vic Secret, you would say are, are, are strong storage uh, hops. They, they tend to maintain their performance. In, in a sense, I think there's a balance. Um, understand your purpose. And if you know, understand the hop a little bit more, if you know it's not a great storing hop, factor that into how you might um, uh, array your call-offs and use it. And I, I would say you should be at least 12 months, probably 18 months, no problem, um, if stored appropriately. Even, even a low storage uh, stability hop should be okay. Managing that actually has to kind of fit in with that crop cycle and you need to carry in a little bit of your hop stock into the next crop year uh, so that you don't you don't run out if there's any dramas in the supply chain. So you'd, you'd recommend like reading into that a little bit, um, potentially designing at least an aspect or a part of your recipes around the, the size of the hop package, for example, so that you're using up full bags of hops for dry hops and maybe some splits on the, the whirlpool and, and before the whirlpool? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like it's, it's not... It's not um, for me, I never weighted it mission critical, but if, if it's close, if you're, if you're 4.8 kilos out of a five kilo foil, you know, maybe just go like, come on, more hops is better. We all know that. <laughs> <laughs> I can go, you could, could be less hops as well if it's 5.1, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't like, I couldn't comment on that. Uh, <laughs> so um, the, the other piece of the puzzle there is the split between whirlpool and dry hop. If, if you're storing for just a few days, um, and, and potentially that hop is also featuring in the dry hop, you, you should be right to tape it up to minimise the airflow um, that the hops experience back in the box, tape the box, stick it back in the fridge. Um, those hops should carry over to be suitable to use in, in that tank to finish that particular batch off. But, uh, yeah, definitely understanding understanding your recipes um, and and. I wouldn't say it was lazy, but it was definitely something I did um, at Moobrew was to use consistently, potentially like, you know, uh, Centennial featured heavily in almost all of the Moobrew beers to to pull that material through um, in a routine sense and clean up the rats and mice um, of, of, of your split foils. And in some ways, I think there's some, you know, sort of material efficiency in, in having... Um, having an attitude like that. Now, I wouldn't want to, you know, diminish the the choice and variety the craft brewers love to to put out in the market. So everyone can have their own opinion on that on that sort of uh, you know process. OJ, 
obviously we've been talking about you know traditional hot products in in, in storage, but with the some of the the new advanced hot products increasingly being uh, added to the brewers arsenal, is there any special way that they need to be looked after, or is, you know what, what's the ordering and storage uh, for for them? Yeah, very much so, and they do pre- they do present other challenges. Um, the CO two extracts, um, you know, there's a lot of bittering potential in some of those. T- uh, you know, more traditional CO2 extracts and some of the new flowable extracts up at, up at 60% alpha. Um, they, they uh, certainly the products that we put on the market now are in resealable containers, which is a great start versus the old tins. If some of the, some of the veterans out there can recall the old uh, extract tins. Um, Pretty rough. <laughs> no, they're bloody horrible. Not a, a user-friendly uh, container unless you're um, unless you're brewing on a big scale. So we've um, we've actually even in just that simple packaging change made um, extracts of all shapes and sizes uh, more approachable for craft brewers on 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 more reasonable scales to use, part use, reseal, um, and back in the fridge. Some of the some of the other advanced products, some of the hydrogenated um, alpha products, um, don't require refrigeration. Uh, and if, if you've got the ability to put, uh, I, th- I think they recommend I think they recommend nitrogen across the top of them as a blanket uh, rather than CO two. Um, that that's just the cherry on top. So all of this is clearly marked on the label, right? <laughs> There's a lot of information to put on the label. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's really fine print. <laughs> That's what podcasts are for. That's why you got to wear glasses. No, um, but you can, again, you can go to hops.com.au forward slash products and you, you can jump straight into your um, favourite CO2 extract or, uh, or aroma product or um, whatever it is you're about to use. And you can uh, click on the text sheet and, and, and recommended use guides. They're all, they're all on, the, um, on the website to... Refresh your memory. Uh, we, we, we can't print it all on the label, unfortunately. Yeah, no, good, good call. We've had a, uh, a podcast on that we've talked about oxidation in beer, and you know, which is, I think, probably the real enemy of beer. But is it similar for, for malt and hops, guys? Like, Jordan, do you, you know, what would you say is the number one, number one enemy for beer? We've talked a little bit about moisture and humidity. Uh, and I know there's there's some practices where you know to get an early start in the morning where we're milling malt before we the day before we brew. You know, are those practices you know recommended? We're introducing oxygen, uh, humidity in this state, especially. What would you say is the enemy of of malt and hops, guys? Yeah, I mean it's all about time management, so it's it's really down to the discretion of the brewer. But I would certainly advise just milling milling the malt. Just before it's going to go into the into the brew, because you, know, you do it the day before, or you have it sitting there already, it's 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 absorbing that ambient moisture and potentially any any other aromatics that are around it. So, um, yeah, the, the the longer you can leave it, the, the better, I would say. And is oxygen or is it humidity that is the real issue with malt, or is it you know, fresh is best? Yeah, humidity is the main issue. Fresh is best. So yeah. As I say, you, the, the later you can leave that process, the, the better it is, I think. Jordan, can we um, maybe get some concepts as well? Everybody thinks that beer is just made from hops and malt and water and whatever else, but going into the kind of less obvious side of things with process aids and stuff like that, obviously Bintani brings to a lot of the Kerry stuff. Just talking about, again, 
for an established brewery, but also the potential startup, the things that people are going to forget about, what can be stored where, you know, things like antifoam, things like yeast nutrient, what's a package size, what are the th- what are the threats with those, um, you know, smaller ticket items that are quite expensive and have quite a big impact. Obviously, we've already covered the malt. OG's covered covered the hops. Um, as for yeast, certainly that needs to be refrigerated. Um, any other kind of process aids. We also refrigerate as well. We've got a really big cool room here. So anything that we can store in those conditions, we do. Um, and again, similar to the hops, you know, the, all of the yeast comes in vacuum sealed foils. So, you know, if anyone ever receives a, a package that has been pierced or is, is not sealed properly, then, you know, we would recommend that you don't use it. Contact us or you know, your local rep will discuss the issue and, um, and take it from there. But, yeah, for the most part, all of those process aids, and especially the yeast, we, we would keep those in cool conditions to, to try and preserve them. Are there any um, safety challenges that people mightn't think about when they're using some process aid type things like lactic acid or things that are a little bit more dynamic that you, because they're a food item, you think they're safe, but in a concentrated form, maybe they're, they're challenging? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, all of these products will have labels on, on on the back of them with, with suitable you know warnings and, and that kind of thing so but yeah just make sure that you're wearing goggles and, and, and gloves for anything that's potentially corrosive and uh, you know um, maybe to kind of think a little bit laterally we're using the the, the c of a's term the certificate of analysis term quite openly here and some people mightn't understand what that is but also maybe looking at it, uh, if, if you wanted to give a quick one, OJ, um, just on matching people's expectations with what they've ordered based on a product, where that manifests on the C of A and, and how to work from there. And that might even lead into substitution options as well, but just what that actually means in practice. It's great to get a certificate, but why did I order that product with that certificate? And then how do I know if it's not <sighs> the product's not in the best of conditions according to that C of A? Absolutely. And we talk, um, so we talk about the COA, uh, being able to tell you a story about the expected performance from a quality point of view, and that's, that's sensory and, and basic bittering. Um, based on its, based on its uh, life through the growing season and harvesting and post-harvest practices on the farm and what has gone into that box. So, you know, we have... Um, we have one particular uh, metric which relates to this oxidization um, issue that um, the Clemmy brought up. So you know, and and it does go through to impact sensory. So you know, everyone's familiar with alpha-acids and the potential bittering power of hops. Uh, they're less familiar with some of the oxidation um, impacts of oxidized alpha, and oxidized alpha doesn't taste good, right? It, it's it's going to uh, it's going to be pretty hard for me to, to describe, but you know the good bitterness of a beer. It's the the nice bitterness in beer is from isomerized alpha acids. Now, if they age and become oxidized, they don't isomerize, and they have uh, a non-iso bitterness. That's a harsher bitterness. It's rough. It's not nice textured. Uh, you know, astringent. Astringent. Yeah, you, I think we I think we've we've all tasted it. When you drink a beer and you go, mm, gee, that's a bit grippy, uh, you know. So we have we have a metric called our Hop Storage Index (HSI), um, and uh, this is basically a spectrophotometric method that is a simple ratio between alpha and oxidized alpha. And 
that that for me is a really lead indicator on on um, on how these might perform in a bitterness textural sense. But also, if you start to see high HSIs. It, it starts to become a bit of a lead indicator about uh, potentially those aromatic compounds as well. They're, they're more volatile than alpha, and if the alpha is oxidising, um, and you're getting these um, these uh, even if even if in tank sensory, so your your COA is published at a point in time, you use the hop twelve months later, but you get that iso that non iso alpha bitterness appearing in your beer. You can assume that that's also a bit of a lead indicator on some of the aromatic compounds having experienced some oxidation or some other condition which might lead them to not perform as well as expected. So, again, to 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 give people some access to more content than we can deliver here in this chat, um, we published a blog on the fourth of Feb, twenty twenty one, about interpreting COAs for hops. Um, so that one's there for people to go a bit deeper on this as well. But yeah, I would say um, I would say that that the the COA is the first port of call, and understanding your hop, like if it's a critical hop in your key core product, um, get deep enough into that hop so that you know what your expected COA values are, so that when you when you review the next crop year for potential performance, you've got a nice range of data in mind. Alphas should be between this and this, and oil should be between that and that, and HSI is typically. 0.29 to 0.31, somewhere in there, and it should be right. You know, that's 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 what level I would love uh, every brewer to know about their favourite hops so that they can look at a COA and say, hey, Alan, what's going on with that lot of hops you just delivered me? The HSI is above 0.34, 36, or I don't know, and uh, I want you to talk me through it. So just a quick one to, to lead on to that HSI that you've raised, mate. Um, obviously, the, the hops uh, Southern Hemisphere harvested around about March, thereabouts. Um, should I be changing my formulations during the course of the year to accommodate the HSI variants indicated? So as the alpha is falling away, do I start to punch things up in terms of uh, quantity? Well, I certainly thought when I was um, back when I was someone making beer, um, I certainly thought that I noticed throughout a crop year um, that I'd have to adjust up typically for bittering. I, I did think that degradation was enough that I, I could pick it in a sensory setting and have to adjust the recipe accordingly. Um, I would I would say that there's a particular period of the year where it's important to um, manage this and it's of course, as your last crop year is trailing out, it'll overlap a little bit with the incoming crop year. And I think there's a, I think there would be a sensible approach to blending the outgoing crop year with the incoming crop year so that you, your beer doesn't take a step change in the market, it should probably go up, <laughs> you know, as you change from a 12-month-old hop to, to a one-month-old hop um, and get that boost in performance. So I, I think it would be in people's interest to smooth that out a little bit and, um, and avoid any step change in profile because any step change in profile can impact on the consumer confidence piece. That's a bit of a black box. So even if you think technically it's a better beer, um, it might not be what the consumer expected. And, and therein lies, uh, you know, the devil in the detail. Good information. I guess the question to back to you, Jordan, and you know, with hops being very much uh, seasonal and malt is the same, I, I you know, there is a, a level of blending that goes on, I guess, with uh, with malt to ensure that you're hitting 
uh, certificate of analyses. From from the maltster point of view? From that- the maltster point of view. Do you find the the same issues with malt, I guess, Jordan, in that you're having to look at what's going on from season to season and and really keep an eye on your C of A's and, and make some adjustments? Yeah, I mean, malt's a much more stable product, I believe, than, than, than hops. So um, it's, it's not as much of an issue. But yes, the COAs are very important. Um, most important thing to know about being able to read a COA is, is, is having the knowledge and specifications of the malt that you require. Otherwise, what you're looking at is, is almost irrelevant. Um, you, for example, if, if you don't know what the colour is supposed to be, then the information that you're looking at is, is pointless. So I guess, you know, the customers just have to have the confidence in the, in the maltsters that they are doing their job correctly and that the information that's being displayed on those COAs is, is you know, the, the maltster's job is to produce the malt so that it fits into the specification for, for the brewers. So it's generally within a very tight range anyway. So um, unless you're a real big commercial brewer like Heineken or somebody who has real narrow specific set of parameters then for the most part the coas from the maltsters are, are are pretty reliable and um it's it's something that the the brewer should be confident in, in reading and and so it's it's less of a concern then we're not you're not having to adjust your your bill of materials or your recipes to really cater for for older malts or new variety, new variety, you you try and hit your specifications more by the sound of it. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't sort of recommend adjusting. I mean, it, it's all subjective at the end of the day. Um, you know, it might be a good idea to run a sensory session, try some of your malts before you're brewing with them. And but yeah, for the most part, these COAs that they're they're very accurate, and because the products are much more shelf stable, it's not necessarily an issue. Obviously, if it's if you're running into sort of twelve to eighteen months, it's may, it's maybe something that you wouldn't want to consider more. But we have such a high stock turnover that we generally don't hold stock older than that. So, when you mentioned that sensory on malt, what would that look like in a in a small medium brewery? I mean, I guess you could just take some of your take some of your malt, mill it up, smell it, taste it, get a group of people together, and just have one of those sort of typical sensory sessions that you would do with hops, you know, does it smell like it's stale? Does it taste soft? Has anything changed um, compared to another, another, another base malt? Or if you have different batches from the same product, you can just do a comparison test and, uh, and take it from there. That's a good point. And the same for, for hops. OJ, I remember getting to the end of, End of a uh, end of a season and sitting around with a bunch of hop teas is that is that still done or is there if, do you have another recommendation rubbing the hands etc. Oh, look, um, yes, and I think people have a whole uh, suite of things that they like to do. I I just can't get away from in beer performance, right? I, I'm not a massive fan of hop teas. Um, certainly, raw hop rub and sniff is something, but it's always qualified because that isn't. Um, what always comes through in the beer. It's quite rare for a hop to actually rub in, in the raw hop and, and taste and smell the same in the beer. So I'm just like routine tasting, trying to get cellar palate, um, you know, stay uh, st- stay on top of your game and, um, and in beer is still the, the proving ground for me. Uh, okay. So you're really just looking for gross differences in those in those types of tests and 
your preference is to is to see how they perform in the finished beer. That's right, and and take those steps when you um, in blending or um, blending between crop years as as you need to as the crop year comes to a close. Now, OJ, I think we're just about to lose you, and uh, which is convenient because we're coming up on time. Um, just <laughs> just very quickly before we go, and it's potentially something we should have asked at the start. When you both sit and order a beer in the pub, are you able to tell um, from the beers you're drinking whether or not the ingredients maybe haven't been up to snuff um, from it? Is, is that the sort of flow-on effect for not doing the things that we've talked about today? Jordan, if I might jump in first, mate, in case... Uh, in case <laughs> yep, go ahead. Um, uh, Matt, yes, I, I, I do believe so. I mean, there are some... some you know, some beer faults which are raw material derived and, um, you know, like circling back onto that unisomerized alpha issue or oxidized alpha issue, I, I do believe I can taste those. Um, it's just like oxidation in a beer, you know, once you've got your sights set on it and, you're, um, and you've got your experience and you're, and you're calibrated in on that, yeah, you can, you can taste there's a whole different podcast on sensory there, and, there and raw is. materials, non, I think. Non-beer sensory. And this is going to be a cascading series of sessions, so we might even get you both back to talk a little bit more about sensory. But, Owen, just in case we do lose you as your battery runs flat, uh, thank you very much for joining us to talk a, a little bit about ingredients from a hops point of view and storage and uh, care. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Owen. And then, Jordan, how about you? Are you, are you able to sort of taste when the, the malt or the yeast hasn't been uh, in, in entirely well cared for? Yeah, I would like to think so. Um, to echo what Owen said, it's it, it's very much apparent if something hasn't been stored in the correct conditions, you get that astringent taste, um, you know, especially for something like malt, if, 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 it, if it's lacking a bit of body or texture or mouthfeel, then you know, you, it, it's probably quite obvious that the malt hasn't been stored in its optimal conditions. So, yeah, I would like to think that I could... So, so it's certainly this is an issue from both of your perspectives. This is certainly an issue that brewers need to be very conscious of um, when they're planning their recipes, when they're planning their production uh, processes, and when they're planning their breweries and uh, facilities. Yeah, for sure. And as as we've been talking about, it all comes down to storage and appropriate um, conditions. So that's that's really the most important thing to take away from today's session. Just make sure that your your malt or and hops are all stored in the appropriate conditions, and that there's nothing to sort of affect any any adverse tastes for them and uh for, for anything that this uh, podcast has raised obviously you're both uh available and to contact your supp- brewers who are listening should contact their suppliers and discuss any issues that they're having yeah absolutely terrific well guys thank you very much uh marcus anthony uh jordan and uh, owen thank you very much for joining us for this uh, brewery pro podcast thanks for having us thanks guys, guys. see you guys great yeah, thanks Thanks for listening to this episode of Brewer's Perspective presented by Brews News. If you would like to sponsor Brewery Pro, you can contact us at matt at brewsnews.com.au. And if you have any questions for our hosts or topics you would like to see covered on Brewer's Perspective, you can email brewers at brewsnews.com.au.